Welcome to the Herd Mentality Podcast, an eclectic weekly mix of atheistic and humanistic conversations with complete strangers. I've never met them and they've never met me, but we're throwing caution to the wind, taking a risk with the dodgy internet connection, and God willing, get an interesting conversation for you to listen to. I'm your host, Adam Reeks, and it's time to meet our guests. Welcome to the Herd Mentality Podcast, and with me today, a spur-of-the-moment decision with some amazing information, I have Dr. Dave Hawks. Hello, Dave. Hi, Adam. How are you going? Extra good. Thanks for caring. And uh, for a change, you and I aren't getting drunk in our living room. Oh, our no, living no, room? I'm, I'm our back living in room. Melbourne, and I've, uh, in honour of the, you know, the humanistic nature of this podcast, I've gone to my local coffee shop, which is called Set and Deadly Sins, and uh, <laughs> I have my long black coffee to uh, keep me fresh and bouncy throughout this show. You're saying I can't motivate you to stay fresh and bouncy. I think that when you offer me litres of ice-cold, tasty, tasty beer, no, my motivation goes pretty quickly. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad you're more switched on today than I am. So what are we talking about? What we're talking about is you sending me something on Twitter, which was being promoted by Deepak Chopra. Um, Deepak <laughs> uh, that guy? Yes. Yeah, okay. The, the first half of the sting. Right, just okay. So we're all on the same page, yes. So it was this journal article, which with the uh, the title "Emotional and Physical Distress Relief Using a Novel Endophenergic Formulation," uh, essentially nutraceuticals. And essentially, this paper was making the claim that by giving people these drugs, nutrient sort of essentially supplements, but trying to make them sound like they actually do something, it will reduce your, your stress and your levels of pain. And as as you would know, I research stress. And so you sent this through to me and it made my eyes bleed. And I don't <laughs> like that. Sorry. Sorry, but uh, much rather your eyes bleed than mine. Uh, because, yeah, well, I looked at it and immediately I detected the faint whiff of nonsense and I needed that peer-reviewed. So evidently I sent it through to the only scientist I know who is more qualified to comment on such matters. Yeah, Mick's going to get you for that that last comment. I do know him (laughs) as well, and he is a scientist. And he works in the same building as you too, I've just discovered. Yeah, that's correct. So when you're looking at a scientific paper, I've been doing this for about 10 years since I started my PhD, and it's a long process to work out how to read a paper. The way I do it is I always look at the figures first because... They're pictures of data. So if someone's going to be fraudulently and completely make up data, there's nothing you can guide against that. But the data will be raw numbers. So, you know, if you give someone a supplement and makes them run 10% faster, you'll be able to see that on a picture and they can describe it any way they want. But the data will show you it. So the first thing I did is as I flick through this, there's no pictures. So that means there's no data actually presented in sort of a graphical way, which is really unusual. I would have um, thought Deepak really thrived on pictures. I, I would think that pictures, colours, you know, flim-flam <laughs> would be the sort of stuff that would be perfect for this. Hmm. So that was the first thing. Then the uh, the next thing I do is obviously I look at what journal is in because it gives you an idea of who their target market. If I, when I was working with HIV... The Journal of Virology was obviously a really good resource. So this journal is the Journal of Behavioural and Brain Science, which sounds, sounds pretty good. That sounds... Um, I'm convinced. Yeah, it's Behavioural Brain Science. I'm, I'm, it sounds like quite a good journal. However, as many of your listeners with a, a science bent or an interest in science would, would know, there's a paper that's actually come out fortuitously since you sent me this about four days later called Who's Afraid of Peer Review? 
it's in the journal Science. And ah, now that one sounds like it's a good one. Yeah, no, Science. It's it's a cute little upstart that does occasionally publish something of general interest. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I get that one from time to time on the newsstand. It's quite good. So, so what these guys did is there's essentially two types of journal in, in broad brushstrokes. The first is you sub, you give them a paper and they publish it, but if someone wants to read it, they have to to pay. So journals like Nature and, and things like that. You have to pay to read the articles. New Scientist is another one. Then there's another model which has come in the last 10 years called open access. And what it is is when you publish a paper, like my paper, I think I talked about the first time I was on here, was about uh, HPV vaccination, was in a journal where we put it in, it got peer-reviewed three times, and then we paid part of the cost of publishing it. What that meant was the, the costs were covered by the author, which means that anyone can log on to it and read the paper, which we thought was really actually important because of the paper was of general use. So this is the type of journal that this emotional and physical distress paper is in. It's an open access journal. Mm. So these guys, I looked it up, pay about $600 to get this published. Is that all? Yep, that's it. So I could... I could publish a herd mentality paper. I would put money that you could publish on it. And I guess this goes back to the science paper. These guys invented a scientific paper, which was, to any scientist, ridiculous. I won't go into all the details, but essentially they were looking at this particular chemical and they changed it depending on what they felt like. And they gave it in different doses and they said, oh, it killed the cells. But if you actually read it, and this is something scientists look out for, they dissolve this drug in ethanol, which, again is alcohol, which is very, very tasty, but when you put it onto cell cultures, they don't like it. So ethanol, the drug that... But ethanol sends you blind, doesn't it? No, no, that's that methanol. methanol? Sorry, uh, I can't read what I'm drinking. Uh, <laughs> e- ethanol uh, is ethanol's the stuff beer. they put... But no, they put ethanol in fuel as well, don't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah so, okay. It's, but it's really good at not only killing cancer, but I would imagine a lot of stuff that it comes into... Uh, basically rendering it sterile, dead. Yeah, so if you put it onto cells, it kills them. And nearly all cells we use in cell culture are actually cancer cells because otherwise they stop growing because cancer cells just keep growing, which is why we use them in culture. Hmm. I'm going to stop nerding out there for a second. So they put this this drug on and it killed these cancer cells, which is great, but it killed them because it was dissolved in ethanol. It's why sometimes you get an effect of homeopathy. People can often feel buzzed. It's because it's got sugar in it, not because it's got rays of Venus or whatever the homeopathic... Uh... <laughs> rays of Venus? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's a real one. My favourite one is dog feces is also a, uh, a, a homeopathic... Uh... I, I don't remember what it's for. Oh, my goodness. Well, well I'd better go and stock up. <laughs> Yeah, you can just get that surprise on your lawn and dilute it one in a hundred many, many times. You could probably make some money. Yeah. Oh, look, I'm fresh out of dog poo. I've got plenty of chook poo. Is chook poo an effective cure, do you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, you just think it's like chook chickens. If You know, people have a sore neck or their neck's sort of moving back and forwards a lot. That, Maybe yeah. a homeopathic remedy of chook poo would solve that. All right. I think I need to have a chat with Secular Bloke and uh, see if we can monetize this. I think we're onto something. <laughs> Excellent. So so that's that's essentially the, the, the paper these guys wrote was just scientifically rubbish. But they submitted it to 304 scientific journals uh, of these open access journals. Of that... It got rejected by 98, which does warm the cockles of my heart. A number of the journals didn't didn't respond, and quite a few of them appeared to be dead links. They were no longer yeah, active. That, that shows that at least 98 people read it. Yes, it does throw 98 people read it. And what's, um, what's interesting is a number of them showed no peer review in rejecting it. So what they do is they look at it, they read the, the abstract, sort of that 250-word description at the front, and they just went, this is rubbish. Yeah, the, and the, work, experience, the work experience kid sitting at the front desk 
he must get thousands of these. He just sits there and goes, oh, another Deepak one, right, rejected. Well, what's funny is that with Cell, I had a friend submitted a paper to Cell, and it was rejected within eight hours. And the maximum you have to wait for those journals who have a lot of money and a lot of staff is 48 hours. So they will reject things really, really quickly, which is fine because you can submit it to another journal. So 157 of them got accepted. And it was essentially the same paper with only the name changed to protect the innocent. 150 of them, over half, got published. And these guys are just talking about how this open access sort of vanity publishing is it's really actually bad for scientific quality and it and it's also a business model that people are essentially ripping off scientists particularly people from without sort of strong scientific backgrounds or with a really strong motivation to publish i've been speaking to sci- uh, to to some students from china and if you've got a lab and you've got 10 staff you might have to publish 30 papers a year to maintain your your job that's that's the criteria it's very clear 30 papers so they just need 30 papers published anywhere it's pretty straightforward that's not going to be a good move for um no, for scientific it, quality. But it also reflects on the current state of Australian journalism where the Sydney Morning Herald recently, which I think is a Fairfax paper, recently announced that they were cutting 30 journalists due yeah. to budget constraints. So what they're saying is that the integrity of our journalism will still be at the same pristine standard, but the quantity that we're able to produce is, is not so good. I, in reality, I would, I would argue that that's probably not going to be the case. Yeah, I mean, I I sort of dabble in, in writing things for sort of a more general public, and it's something I'm trying to move into. But I think that the point is, I just look at it the way I would any other business in terms of journalism. If you're the, the, the science writer and you've got people breathing down your neck, if you write something that gets revealed as dodgy or poor quality or anything like that, you're going to be dropped down to the reserves and the other guy will be bumped up. If there's no one behind you, there's not really any pressure. And I mean, I've seen some horrendous things being put into it. It's Admittedly, it's been Murdoch papers from memory, but they've taken things from Natural News, which is just this horrible pretend science, and they've just published them. They're the anti-global warming guys, aren't they? No, this is the guy who's anti-vaccine. It's predominantly biomedical sort of stuff, but he does dabble in in pretty much all conspiracy theories. A guy called Mike, uh, the health ranger, I can't remember. Mike Adams. A little bit Alex Jones. Oh, yeah, completely, exactly the same sort of thing. Mm. So this open access, this is sort of an issue. And you were talking about getting the herd mentality paper published. You can do it. And I can promise you, you can do it because a few years ago, strangely enough, the same publishers that published this paper we're going to talk about accepted and we're going to publish uh, uh, in an advanced mathematics journal this paper that was submitted after it was created by an online automated computer program. So you could just go and type in a couple of things, the names of the authors, and it would print you a paper that made no sense and argued back on itself. One guy actually got that on this computer program and then submitted it to a journal and it got accepted. And the only reason it didn't get published is he didn't want to cough up the $600. (laughs) It was probably 600 bucks well spent, though, to get some rubbish published. Yeah, well, that seems like a good segue back to this paper. (laughs) All right, so let's talk about spending $600 well. Okay, so we've gone through the journal, the the title, and we've we've sort of looked at the data. The other thing I look at is the authors, because obviously if you've got somebody who's writing something from a Melbourne University or a, a... you know, a Harvard or a Stanford, it gives them a bit of weight. So I looked at the authors. Now, they've all got the same last name. And that's <laughs> not necessarily a bad thing. That I know a lot of people that have 
fathers and sons or mothers and daughters or, or siblings. or And so you often see a couple of them. To see three is unusual. So it's Stephen Crane, Matthew Crane, and Stanley Crane. Now, Stephen Crane is essentially a, a psychotherapist who got a business. And it confused me because it said he's from the Therapeutic Alliance State College USA. Now, I thought State College meant, well, a college at a state level. It's actually a suburb called, called state, state College. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So that was the first one. So he's a, he's a sort of a, essentially a psychologist. Stanley, the the last author you'd considered being the senior author, is a. Uh, I, I looked him up. He's an emeritus professor of uh, Department of Neuroscience, Albert Einstein College of Medicine, uh, New York. Sounds which is legit. you know it is well emeritus professor generally means somebody who's held a professorship and now is retired and comes in a couple of days a week so yeah that sounds legit you know again it's a small university the other guys in private practice the middle author is the one that interested me matthew crane from duke university now i've heard of duke university i have it, it, i looked at it, but what struck me as odd and and this is where they're quite misleading as you might not pick it up if you don't have this sort of scientific background. It just says Duke University. Generally, it will tell you what department someone's in or what institute. By saying Duke University, it's very vague. So vague that I, in fact, emailed them. Oh. And I said, you know, and I asked them a couple of questions and I'll touch on some of the other ones. But it was like, um, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to track down uh, Matthew Crane. I'm having difficulty finding which department he's a part of. I, I've searched on Duke and he doesn't seem to come up. And I know what universities are like, and I know editors often stuff sing up. So could you give me some more information? Uh, they haven't got back to me yet, but uh, I would guess that... Was it a Gmail account? Dr. Stephen Cranes is an AOL. Uh, <laughs> Matthew Crane has no contact details, but I suspect I would take a guess that he's possibly an undergrad student. Study, or the janitor. Whatever. Or the ja- he may be the janitor. Sorry. It's admirable work. Oh, it is. And you know from that uh, Matt Damon movie that you know those people can actually be quite smart absolutely because it happened in a cinema it must be true definitely so so there's the authors and i still can't get over that aol email account because that hasn't existed for probably 10 or 15 years did you email back to the past (laughs) i don't know i actually i i looked at that email address and then i went back then found his private practice and found his contact details on his private practice and because he, he was referred to as doctor, and he, that's why I found out he had a PhD and, and, and he, all this. And you've this done something previously fine. on the show discussing what a doctor actually is. Which, for this sort of stuff, is, is not that unusual. It doesn't particularly bother me. What bothers me, and where I'm going to crack the angry pills, is that these were studies involving human beings. Now, you can't do studies involving human beings or animals without ethical approval. It needs to go to a, was it a morals board or the, um, what do they call it, the ethics committee? Yeah, ethics committee. Now, we work with animals, so we have an animal ethics committee. There's a human ethics committee. I think within Australia, every human ethics committee has to have a priest or a a person of religious standing on it, which I find a little bit uh, unusual. Yeah, you, you need ethics. I had a friend who was doing a survey and it took him 18 months to get ethics to actually send these out for a whole variety of reasons of even if somebody doesn't give their name and details you don't know whether the data you're sampling the same person twice and it's, it's really complicated and they want to make sure that people are not taken advantage of so this paper has no ethics absolutely none in fact it's not associated with any university but they try and make you think that they are they refer to recruiting people from the penn state community the penn state community now i know that because there was a vocal group from a called up and off the beat n which I would think is the univer- the local university. Yeah, I mean, Penn State's a very reputable university. However, no one to do with the paper has anything to do with Penn State. And when they say the Penn State community, I am taking a wild step in the dark that means they put on a Craigslist ad 
on the in the suburb that Penn State University is. <laughs> and uh, uh, come on in, let's hook you up to the electrodes and see what happens. Pretty much. That was the most disturbing thing for me because as a scientist, I always get quizzed on how do you work with animals and all these things. And essentially, my answer is always the same. I'm trying to improve outcomes for human beings and I have made the moral and ethical decision that I'm prepared to... I, I think animal research is the way to do that. Um, however, I also think that people should be looking over it, people that have no interest in the actual work, but just purely looking for the animal ethics. We have a number of vets on our committee. We have people who are not associated with science. And I actually really value the way that they actually give us feedback on how to improve the way we actually do our science and improve our ethics at every single turn. So the fact that these just guys... for have... those listening at home, an ethics committee, the short story is to analyse the cost-benefit. Analyse the cost-benefit, but it's very much skewed to animal welfare. So when, when someone puts in an animal ethics committee, it can be 30 or 40 pages. And we're talking down to the size of the needle that you will use to give them painkiller. We're talking about if you're going to use thread to stitch a wound, you have to say what type and what size. I've had uh, health sheets where I have to look at every animal every day and I look at over 30 different parameters every animal every day of every experiment. And it can be things like we look at their posture. Do they look like they're um, uncomfortable? Are they moving freely? Are they eating well? Is do their, their weight? Their Are they drinking? turn red? I think that was one of the things for rabbits, wasn't it? Whether a rabbit is in pain if its eyes turn red. I've never worked with rabbits, but I, I'm sure that there'd certainly be something like that. Mm, I don't know. Well, look, I'm not a scientist, and it was only hearsay. I can't confirm my sources. <laughs> if it's not the eyes, then they'd be looking at other parameters. Mm. And, and so there's all these sorts of things that we do. So for these people to go out and do projects without ethics on human beings where they're putting their arms into ice water... And the, the other thing is they don't say whether they paid them. So I haven't even gone into the science yet. This is the first pass of it. So there's, there's more science to come. This, this sounds exciting. Well, the first author, Dr. Stephen Crane, doesn't actually tell you that the nutraceutical that he is trying to pitch in this article, he is the clinical director of the company. So he might have a vested interest in it. Is that what you're suggesting? I'm suggesting that there is no conflict of interest statement in this paper which is mandatory on every paper i've ever been involved in and i get pulled up on any time i say anything about vaccinations people go well how much money have you got from the companies yeah, and i have on the a payroll. very clear statement hmm. and that was one of the things i emailed i said oh you your conflict of interest and your ethics seem to have fallen off this draft of the paper would you be able to help me out by giving me that information and it's been a week and i haven't heard back from him so I, I think that it's, it's maybe, something maybe that I'm probably looking to Maybe the AOL server's down. It's been intercepted by a North Korean scientist. Or it could be the, uh, the American government, you know, the NSA <laughs> tracking AOL is possibly the only thing keeping it going. <laughs> They're tracking AOL. They've got an easy job. <laughs> oh, oh, I love paying out on AOL. We used to call it always offline. Yeah, well, with this, I'm, I'm actually really sorely tempted to actually contact the, the state regulatory board of where this guy's practicing because I think this is a this is a crime. You can't do human research. The, this we, was one of the outcomes uh, of World War II. You can't do human research without having it undergoing ethical approval. And if you do, then you can't use the results. Is that how it works? You can't do it, full stop. You can't send out a survey. And if you send out a survey, then no journal no pre-conference no anything will let you do it let you present it because they will actually be liable you could contact the regulatory board but 
that, that doesn't stop the fact that it's now out there and millions of Deepak's fans are, are reading it. Yep, pretty much. So what's the next step? In terms of trying to get them to withdraw papers, it um, doesn't really happen for these sorts of journals. Um, it might, but I don't hold my breath. There's another company that does that runs a similar, and I hesitate to say the word scam, so I'll call it Max, which is something else backwards, so that I'm not in legal trouble. But there's a company called Omics who runs 200 journals, and essentially it's it's this sort of quality of stuff, and they put people's names on editorial boards without asking them and refuse to take them off and all this sorts of stuff because they can get so much money from publishing these papers that if they have to shut a journal down, they just open another one and it mm-hmm. doesn't cost them anything and they'll just that journal will be done so who knows so all i can do is i am but a simple scientist all i can do is rip this paper a new one all right let's hook into it okay so well, Ham, before, first... before you start uh can you give us the link to where the paper is if you just look up journal of behavioral brain science 2013 volume 3 starting page 441 there is a link here which i can simply put out all right But that's enough information for us to track it down so we can peer review you, Dave. Excellent. And feel free, like if there's something I've missed, uh, give me a yell. So this is about 14 pages of paper with no figures. I would rather masturbate with a cheese grater than read this again. (laughs) Um, Right. It was painful. Now, I know in previous shows I've been very restrained, but this has really got me up in arms. And so I'm just going to try and tear this paper a new one. Okay, you're allowed to use just... Just a little bit of raw vocabulary if you have to. Well, we'll see. So they've essentially done a number of experiments which they've tried to tie together really poorly. And I'm, I'm not going to go into the introduction and discussion because they're just spin. Their discussion goes for about five pages and it's just pointless. Generally, in a discussion in a paper might be might be 800 words. I think my thesis for my entire PhD was less than the discussion of this paper. So my 150, 160 word thesis had a smaller discussion than this 14 page paper. Right. <laughs> so they're, they're putting all their effort into the spin and then just trying to gloss over the uh, the, the actual experiments. Yeah. So the, the first thing is essentially they've recruited these people and they've essentially put their hand in cold water at about two degrees and seen how long they can hold it for right. and then given the nutraceuticals. But the problem is when they talk about these nutraceuticals, when I first started, I thought this will be something like, you know, it will be a tablet that you can buy and they've given it to them and they're looking at what effect it has, which seems... It's not the worst thing in the world. You know, give someone a vitamin C tablet and see if it affects their pain levels or or something like that. And that's what I thought that this would be. And I'll read this little bit out just briefly and hopefully it will be clear enough. So they're talking about one of the the compounds they're giving people. For most participants, the formulation included caffeine between 60 and 280 milligrams. Right. That's about four shots of coffee though, isn't it? Yeah, it's not a small amount of caffeine. Mm Mm-hmm. Then their NAC is from 240 to 1200 milligrams. So that's five-fold difference. So the tablet is got four-fold difference of caffeine and five-fold difference of something else. Then for those particularly sensitive to the stimulating effects of caffeine, they've replaced it with forscolin, which is, again, 60 to 240. But it doesn't say which people. It doesn't give you any, any idea of who's been given what. So you really have no idea... What else? They, they so also you've got, include... a, you've got a blind test, a double blind test, but this sounds like it's a totally blind test. It sounds like they got blind and then decided to do this. <laughs> and then they've got all these other random 
things like L-theanine 60 to 280 further reduced with agitational or white willow bark between 280 milligrams daily. They've got drunk, walked into the lab, <laughs> got a tub and just chucked stuff in at random and then gone, oh, how much? <laughs> White willow bark. I know very little about white willow bark. It's really boring. Uh, like, it probably wouldn't do very much. I mean, what's the active ingredient in white willow bark? Is it just white? I have the ing- no <laughs> the ingredient idea. White? Sounds I, like colonic like, consciousness, Dave. It, it does sound like... Con- well, it, it's cosmic unconsciousness. <laughs> this is just absolutely ridiculous because i mean if you've got a supplement i encourage testing it somebody has something that will reduce your stress at the moment there's not enough information to support that the only way you can do it is to test it so someone if if one of the big vitamin companies grabs a bunch of people puts them through a double blind test gives them their supplement and at the end of them go okay the people who got the supplement they they slept for an extra 20 minutes a night on average that's great. I'm I'm more than fine with that. I support evidence, even if it's something that I, I don't really believe in in the majority of supplements because I don't think the evidence supports them. The evidence change, I've always say I will change my view. But they're not testing anything. They're just chucking a bunch of things with four to five fold difference. Don't tell you which patient got what. So what um, should I mean, they have done to build this to the point where it's a an acceptable standard what should they have done 25 words or less normalized you get people within a certain age group 18 to 25 males with no pre-existing conditions give them a tablet of a specific list of ingredients and give them a placebo double blind and then see what effects you see rightio and double blind for those playing along at home double blind is when the physician doesn't know what tablet they're giving and the patient doesn't know what tablet they're getting because the physician, if they know they're giving somebody the active tablet, particularly with things when they're looking at your sort of behaviours and how stressed someone is, you, you might have a little bit of bias creep in. So if, I, if I'm if i giving you the tablet and I don't know whether you're getting the, the real tablet or the placebo, I can't really skew the results because I don't know what I'm seeing. So if I am skewing it, it's probably because I'm, I'm seeing something, which it's it's not perfect, but it's certainly, uh, it's, it's a reasonably effective measure of controlling for just random random events Mm. so they didn't do that well they said they double blinded but there's three people one of them didn't seem to be involved and the other one he was mowing the lawns yeah well yeah he was or he's cleaning the gutters or something like that so (laughs) the clinical observations were undergone by dr stephen crane so the guy that is the head of the clinical division of the company was also doing the clinical observations (laughs) the only real data i can find is that they had the endorphin enhancer reverse this hyperalgesia and produced a dramatic average 18% increase in pain tolerance. I think the, the placebo has a 7% increase. So what you're talking about is about 20 seconds. Right, and this is statistically significant because... Well, I can't tell because they talk about significance and they talk about dramatic and all these things, but there's no error. So it could be that every single patient was 18% higher or it could be that one patient went for the entire time without taking the hand off and skewed the results. There's no statistics. There's no way to judge this. Mm. And the other thing they don't talk about, which, again, might might sort of slip by a few people, but it's quite logical if you think about it. If you're going to test someone, and this, this group of people were tested four times with placebo and then two separate ingredients, then sort of the combined one. Now, the order at which you test each of these 
is really important. So if you test somebody and you put their hand in ice water four times, the first time they put them in, it might be shorter or longer than the last time. It depends on the person, but it's probably not going to be the same. So if you put your hand in ice water for the first time and you hold it in there and then you take it out, by the fourth time you've done it, either you're going to have built up a tolerance or you're just going to be sick of putting your hand in ice water and you'll pull it out quicker. Well, when I went to an aquarium in New Zealand, you were able to put your hand in, because salt water doesn't freeze. There was a big um, vat arrangement there and it said here's how well stick your hand in and feel how cold the water is that a penguin swims in so i put my hand in it was i can't remember offhand i'd only be guessing but i I think it was at zero degrees or, or very near but i can tell you i wouldn't want to put my hand back in there but if i did i'd probably be preconditioned to be able to tolerate it perhaps for a bit longer absolutely and the thing is when i do experiments i do behavioral experiments and we're very careful to actually swap around you know if you give them a treatment or a placebo we swap whether they get the treatment first or the placebo first with our groups so it ends up half get the placebo first half get the treatment first they don't explain which order they do things they don't explain whether any the people received all the tests in the same order they, they don't explain any of this stuff. And I'm not going to say it because they, they could sue me, but I don't think they've actually produced too much data because they don't actually give you any raw data. They don't say the average person went up 20 seconds. Like I'm guessing 20 seconds is the maximum based on the parameters I can pull out of the paper. That's it. But it could be as little as five seconds. And when you don't know how much variation it is, it's just impossible to tell. So the credibility of this paper is somewhat questionable. No, there is no credibility. I will say that absolutely there is no credibility. This would not be accepted by something out of a, an undergrad in their first week of science. Okay. What happens when you publish a paper like this with no credibility, but a lot of people read it? What's the end game for these guys? I've spent a lot of time combating anti-vaccinations, and they do exactly the same thing. There's there's a number of papers out there put into journals for a number of reasons that express anti-vaccine messages and they say well this is published in a peer-reviewed scientific journal so it must be true and i mean it is one of the nice things about being a scientist people actually give you a lot of respect because people trust in science we're one of the top 10 most trusted professions they'd be up there with podcasters wouldn't they i don't think we've quite reached that lofty height (laughs) they're cloaking themselves in the respectability of science and so i do this for a living i read papers for a living i'm reviewing a couple of papers at the moment for the european journal of pharmacology which is a really nice journal and you get really good papers and I I enjoy reading them and finding the the short points and a lot of the time people will come back and address them and the paper will get published. No one's going to actually read this. Like I dragged myself through it kicking and screaming but the most people read is this abstract at the front which is generally they fill it with a lot of big words and a lot of scientific you know who else uses big words that guy. Yeah well if you like the big words listen to this. Our research has led to new Endo endorphinergic formulations combining endorphin enhancers such as caffeine with opioid receptor switches such as N-acetylcysteine for the relief of emotional and physical distress. Our studies provide a novel method to reverse the anxiogenic effects of caffeine and related hyperexcitatory substances. Opioid receptors? Yeah. Wow. This no no. This is the opioid receptor switcher. This is the name oh. of the chemical it's not actually it sounds like a board game opioid receptor switcher in fact all of that and i'm going to really show off here because this is what i did during the hsc the high school certificate which is 
what you do at the end of high school in Australia, is uh, there used to be a radio show called Martin Malloy, a big fan of that uh, radio show, but they're both comedians. And they created a new drug. I memorised this during the HSC because I was bored studying. You ready? It's yep. Panametabusatylophila supracetamida parabyzer or hypnobolophenaracetocoda nyquafed with added hypodipnoquam mesoventahodine zental 50 and a new anticoasting siftafed formula with hypocytic paramusable naving hyper hyper give it away give it away now five ask for it by name <laughs> they they did a skit trying to sell that drug and um, by the time you pronounce it your symptoms had buggered off down the pub yeah it's like dihydrogen monoxide ah um, yes now i know about this one talk me through yeah. it okay so so dihydrogen monoxide there's there's been a couple of campaigns because uh it's a chemical that's actually found in pretty much all the food we eat and it's a result of of modern farming practices um it's it's pretty much ubiquitous and i mean it can lead to dizziness it can lead to death um children are particularly sensitive to di- dihydrogen monoxide mm-hmm. um and for those of you playing at home, and most scientists would have come across it, it's water. Dihydrogen, H2, monoxide, monoxide, O. So it's H2O. And it's pertinent because when you say monoxide, people associate it with carbon monoxide, which is not good. No. But water, on the other hand, is, even though it causes drowsiness in giraffes. The chemical names are there for very specific reasons, and it can be hijacked. It's like any any sort of terminology can be hijacked. And again, this is what these guys are doing. They're using really long words and trying to make it complicated, but then sort of saying that this is novel and this is a way to reverse you know, stress. And, it, and it's just bullshit, pure and simple. It's just guys trying to promote a drug in which at least one of them has a financial involvement in. He's the clinical director of the company. They also looked at a bunch of case studies, and I won't go into that because essentially the plural of anecdote is not data. Correct. So can, but the, the the other thing I found really amusing, and, I, and I, I could follow it up, but I don't really want to spend any more of my time on this, is they're talking about the 60 participants aged 18 to 86. <laughs> Now, that's a fairly broad age range, and I would be willing to take a stab that maybe the last author, Stanley M. Crane, might be 86. Quite possibly. We don't know. He hasn't answered his emails. No. But if he, look, if he's on AOL, he probably is 86. Yeah. So I would just like to say, please don't send me any more of this sort of junk. I I will get back to you, but Oh. oh my God, my eyes are still bleeding, man. It's just, it's rank, pathetic horrible stuff for those of you who follow me on twitter you know that every so often i go into bat against people like geo landman who's a a creationist and part of the they've got a creationist college or something and he always talks about the data and i always bore the hell out of everyone watching by saying can you just show it to me you talk about this data and that's great can you show it to me and i'm willing to bet that within the next couple of months or year these guys will figure out that they can hijack this sort of open access junk vanity publication to produce exactly that sort of stuff which will convince those who want to be convinced that this is scientifically valid and it won't convince anyone who's got a clue about what these sort of how to actually analyze this data if anyone would like the direct links to this show i'll put them in the uh in the show notes so you can in itunes you can click on the information tab for this particular mp3 and get the the link associated with these papers so you can have a read of them or gouge your eyes out and pour insult 
as may be a little bit less painful. But Dave, really quickly, what are the, let's say give us three or four points as to how you sniff out a bad paper. The first thing I do is I look at the journal. If it's a journal that has a specific name, look at the other papers in it and they seem reasonable. That's a good start because a lot of this is just really vague. The other thing is pictures. Pictures are data. A lot of papers that are not reputable have schematics or they've drawn something. What I want to see is a graph and I want to see data points. And once you have a graph and data points, it at least gives you confidence that someone's actually done something. There's no really good way to sift out an article other than if it says something that appears too amazing and it's not in nature or cell or science, it's probably buyer beware. But the other thing is just ask the scientist. Because scientists are pretty approachable, aren't they? Oh, we try and be. And there's plenty of them, particularly those on Twitter. There's heaps of people. If you just look at any of the Friday Follows, there's some great scientists out there. You've had a number of them on your show. Most of these guys can have a look at this paper and they'll be able to tell you in five... I think I got back to you in five minutes to say that this was junk. It wasn't a long time. And uh, I think it was a... (laughs) It was a one or two word answer. Uh, it was pretty brief, concise. You really cut through it. Yeah, then you came back to me and said, look, let's elaborate a little bit more about it on the show. And I think it's it's good just to be able to talk through it and be able to sniff out the really sus stuff. This other paper that I was talking about, Who's Afraid of Peer Review? Have a look at that. It's a really straightforward, it's read, it seems to me, and I, I know I've got a scientific bias, but it's quite straightforward what they did. Everyone can understand it and they can understand how it actually shows some of the, the really big gaps in scientific publication. And, you know, as a scientist, I'm being critical of science. Um, I'd love to have a creationist do the same thing with creationists, but I'm not holding my breath. Hasn't happened yet. No. <laughs> All right, Dave, you're on Twitter at Mr. Hawks. That's correct. And you're very approachable. Send him a tweet, find out some stuff if you've got a curious question regarding some sort of dodgy paper that perhaps Deepak has thrown together. And and I think I did find out about this by Deepak Link. Thank you, Deepak. And uh, (laughs) learn more. Learn more. Take on the mentality of a scientist. If you're wrong, get corrected. Be proud of that go on and correct somebody else we're all fallible and if you think you're not then that's when problems start and that includes scientists creationists or podcasters steady on (laughs) steady on you want to come back (laughs) all right dave thank you very much for coming on and i'll see you on twitter no worries thanks for having me adam cheers mentality bonus material unlike the bit before this the bonus material is completely free given that it takes me the better part of a day to do one of these shows please go to herdmentalitypodcast.com and contribute a couple of dollars a month to make it all possible it really isn't much come on ladies and gentlemen welcome to the herd mentality bonus material and with me today on the other end of the electric telephone in completely different countries we have the secular surfer who goes by the handle funnily enough at secular surfer hello hello and my favorite blobfish is an atheist blobfish and there is only one at atheist blobfish hello hello and you're from both different countries around the world. Thanks for the cough. I'll have to edit that out. Yes. <laughs> so, Secular Surfer, Tom, where are you from? I'm from uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And they play sport there. Yeah, big sports town. Mm-hmm. Are you into sport? Um, I used to be heavily. I've 
been working on weaning myself off last couple years. And more so onto the atheism. Yeah, just uh, more productive use of my time. (laughs) (laughs) I like to think so. And uh, Mr. Blobfish, where are you from? I'm from Birmingham in England, in the mighty United Kingdom. Ah, I've been there. It has a very good uh, Indian restaurant. Yes, it does. Well, it has several. We have what is known as the Balti Triangle. Ah, yes. Now I'm aware of this. Yeah. Tell me about it. Balti Triangle is, I think it's three... Three, it, sh- it should be three roads because it's a triangle, but I think it's more like five roads. So it's more of a Balti pentagon, but um, it's just five roads worth of Indian restaurants, and they're all very good. There's the odd ropey one where you sort of go in and you might have deli belly for a couple of weeks. But um, yeah, it's, it's just a great place to get a curry. And deli belly for those playing along at home? Diarrhea of epic proportions. It, it is epic. It's more of a spray painting arrangement, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, pebble bashing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And the 25 words or less reasoning for becoming interested in atheism, uh, Mr. Blobfish? Because God doesn't exist. Don't be stupid. Well, that was... Yeah. You you went under your quota there. So, um, look, yeah. thanks for that. That allows us a little bit more for Tom, the secular surfer. All right. Basically, just looking at the harm that it's done to minorities and people it doesn't like. I think that's probably the most common response I get on this show when I ask that question. I usually ask it. I don't always put it to air because the answers are pretty much the same every single time. (laughs) It does harm. People don't... Yes. And the people to whom it does harm don't necessarily see that harm being done. Well, no. I was watching uh, the Pride of Britain Awards were on earlier and you know the young girl who got shot in the face... Uh, yes. I can't remember her name. I think Mal- it's uh, Malara. She now lives in Birmingham and she's schooled in Birmingham and she received medical care here. And she still remains a Muslim. And it, it, it just it just bothers me. It's like, because she was shot by the Taliban because she was trying to go to school and they believe that women shouldn't be educated that far. But she still thinks religion is a good idea. So she got shot in the face and she still maintains... That religion is a good idea. It wasn't God who did it. No, no, no. It was um, it was people who misinterpret the perfect word of um, God. This is what I love about uh, reading the news stories and the things that happen in the, the Middle East. Is everyone's a cleric? I don't yes. think there's too many people there who aren't a cleric of some description, unless, of course, you count women. If you, if you go by these holy books and you take them as the word of God and you obey them, bad things will happen. So. You can't say it was bad Muslims or bad Christians or bad Jews or whatever. It was because they took it as the word of God and they acted upon it. There's so much horrible verse in all of these books, in the Torah and the Bible and the Quran, that eventually somebody's going to read it and think, well, that's the perfect word of God. Why not? Let's go and kill some Westerners. Let's go and beat up a woman for being on a period and being in the same room as a man. Mm. It's just... It's just ridiculous. So tell me a little bit about your characters online, because I always like talking to people with character or personality. I chose the Blobfish because it is very ugly, and 
It's sort of an argument against God, just the blobfish on its own. Bear in mind that we were allegedly made in God's image, so God would think like a human. Why would he ever make something that ugly? There's not a lot of evolution happening there, I wouldn't think. No. Where are the transitional blobfishes? Look, if they evolved from from fishes, how come they still fishes? Well, no, it's, you're assuming they evolved from fishes and not blobs. Your, th- well, your thinking here is flawed, Mr. Blobfish. Yeah. <laughs> I think you need to go and have a look at your family tree, sir. Look, you don't know anything about my god, so... (laughs) Clearly not. (laughs) Clearly not. And... Exactly. The surfer of secularness. Talk to me. I basically was just using my name initially and decided I wanted to kind of separate it because I'm job hunting currently and figured it might make it a little bit more difficult. Found out about Ash. Big comic book fan. Oh, big do superheroes. With good reason. Yeah. I think I guess it's... Probably have to uh, throw a shout to Secular Bloke, too, because he's a big fan of his name. Just has a nice ring to it. <laughs> so it just hit me a Silver Surfer and Secular Surfer. Had a nice ring to it. And 300 followers later, here we are. Yeah, it uh, yes. seemed to work. Secular Bloke, he, he does a fine job. Yes, he does. He's very funny. And he uh, does enjoy the odd beverage or two. Yes. Yes. He's one of the... I, I think all of us do. On the odd occasion, yeah. The odd occasion being, well, breakfast onwards. Yes. <laughs> Everybody seems to be quite nice. And sometimes I'll, I'll do the odd, like, sort of soppy message where I say how much I love everybody. And I genuinely do because everyone's really nice. And if, you, if you're ever struggling with something, if you're struggling with something, you can go to somebody and it could be the other end of the spectrum where it could be really serious. You could be feeling a bit rubbish, feeling a bit depressed. And I've, I feel safe in the fact that I could probably go to somebody on my timeline and talk to them. I get contacted and a lot. I, I <laughs> yeah. A lot. A lot yeah. Lots of DMs. When I did the depression episode, yeah. I think I counted there like eight people who went and uh, subsequently, having heard that, began mm. to see symptoms in their own lives. And yeah. they went and said, oh, yes, okay, I've, I've actually acknowledged it. Now I'm going to get help about it. Yeah. So that was, I found that to be a job well done. You know? Yeah, that's fantastic. There's a big stigma around breakfast. it. Hmm. Nice. <laughs> Coming from someone that uh, suffers from depression myself. I think to some degree, everybody does and certainly everybody does at some point in their life but it is a very real thing though oh yeah yeah it's just a case of uh of grays there's no there's no black and white with it i think maybe everybody has it to some degree it varies it becomes darker and darker at different points in your life Mm. Hmm. yeah i agree with that follow Um, atheist blobfish check out the blog every hundred followers he gets he writes a new blog post i don't know how he does it using perhaps telekinesis or uh, yeah or the windows 8 dictation tool so we can't yeah. guarantee a spelling error free zone yes definitely mr secular surfer i will have a blog post up shortly i finally more or less finished my how i became an atheist story mm-hmm. just needs a little bit of uh, fine-tuning would it help if you added some of this deep masters of the universe I can't believe nobody had mentioned Deepak before that. <laughs> I was just dying to put it in because it's uh, <laughs> it's the first time I've been able to put these in live. Normally, what I have to when I go through and edit a podcast, it takes me hours and hours of editing. Yeah. 
And it just got to the point where there were so many Deepak mentions that <laughs> it was a little bit ridiculous. Yeah. Mm. I, I, I think you should do one for Ken Ham and is it, what's Hovind's first name? Eric Hovind. Yeah. Eric, if you're yeah. listening, and I know you do because you're a big fan of my show, um, yeah. he made a bet or something with Joshua Dammit, who's yeah. also been on the show. He lost the bet and had to buy Vanessa and Joshua their, uh, a dinner, take them out for dinner. Yeah. They traded that in. They said, look, we'll, we'll cut the dinner if you go on the herd mentality and yeah. Uh, yeah Eric doesn't he doesn't reply he doesn't talk to me it makes me sad yeah I think creationists have their own Twitter and they just ignore you because I've never seen one respond to you I don't ever because well, no. Ray doesn't who sorry Deep um, <laughs> that I know he listens to the show as well he's a big fan uh, all of, all yeah. of his, hi Ray all, hi Ray all of his uh, responses are via DM to me yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, I can just wanna, imagine you two working up a little relationship <laughs> in the background of Twitter. No, the one who who I do get quite a few responses from, and it's more a case of it never rains but it pours, is Joe Sinovsky. Oh, big Joe, yeah. <laughs> now, Joe's not a fan of thinking. He is a fan of uh, talking. You really, really desperately need to do a Joe sound effect. Oh, I think it would just be the sound of a plop. You know? <laughs> no, but, be something, um, something a bit wet. Like... I, I think something like soulful, like Teddy Pendergrass, because those like those messages, uh, you know, the ones that he sent to that woman, he was talking about her peachy ass. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I missed that. Um, who had them? I think it was. I think it was Perth atheist. He he had like little like screenshots of messages where he was talking dirty to a woman. That's <laughs> terrifying. They they may be completely fake, but <laughs> that they are hilarious. <laughs> Well, just to shout out on the music front, uh, I don't do the sound effects for this show. That's Musical Humanist. Yeah. If, uh, got, he, I don't think I follow Musical Humanist. You, I bloody will in a minute, though. You should. He's, uh, he's a young fella. He's been on the show, I think he was on episode one or two, very very early on in the piece. And he did the Deepak Comfort sound effect for me, which subsequently yeah. is available as a ringtone. Did you know this? Oh, you are joking. No, you can have it as a ringtone. I might, I might tweet the I'm link out to, just after this. I'm going to have to have it as a ringtone now. Damn straight you do. Uh, yeah, you did the bonus material as well, which is this sound effect. He's been very generous with his time, but I've been asking him for a blessed teen sound effect, which is just sort of angels chanting in the background. That, in fact, between the three of us, we don't even have to bother him for his time. Do you want to do it now, the three of us? Just make a, a Blessed Teen sound effect? We'll just say Blessed Teen in really high-pitched choir boy voices. Uh, how high? How high can you go? <clears throat> I can go very high. All right, let's give it a go. Three, two, one. one. Blessed Teen. That was terrible. Let's try it again. <laughs> I, did, I, I, I didn't even do anything. There are people asleep in my house. Uh, well, I, we've all got problems. Come on, let's try this again. Three, yeah. two, one. Blessed All right, I think I can use that. All right, gentlemen, thank you very much for coming on the Herd yep. Mentality bonus material. Have wonderful lives. You're welcome back yeah, on I'll the show anytime. Best. Take care. Cool. See you in a bit. Bye. My phone's ringing, guys. Oh, cool. actually, just just hold the line. I'll take this call. Stand oh, well. Yeah, so it's just me and you, Tom. So we're totally in control of the show. We could do anything. Got the herd mentality brought to you by Secular Surfer and Atheist Blog. Yeah, we're not very good at this. We should probably get inside of